Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? Doing doing well, doing well. I just wish the world was a little bit better off than our president thinks it is. Yeah. Of course, we think there's a lot of problems, but he thinks it's uh, the good stuff is the problem, yeah, yeah. basically. But anyway, uh, he became... Uh, uh, a lot more in the news over the weekend as usual. Not, not he doesn't get a lot of positive news, no matter how hard the left tries. Yeah, it's yeah. still still pretty ne negative. But they did have to re report on uh, on his racial statement. Yeah. And uh, and they don't the, the left doesn't even seem to uh, catch on to this. He, uh, white supremacy is the greatest U.S. terror or threat it could it could exist. You know, and that that is I, I just think you know. Over, over the top, and uh, I think it's a racist statement, and I think it's uh, j just uh, just uh, very divisive. Yeah. And uh, and yet uh, they all do that, and they, they were able to do it. But what about his statement a few months ago? He said that uh, he was talking to a black individual, a, a, a potential candidate or yeah, something, yeah. and uh, I don't even know if he was a Republican or not. He, and he's and he says, "You mean?" You're not going to vote for me? Yeah. He says, man, what's the matter with you? You, you can't vote me. You ain't black then. Yeah. You have to support me if, uh, uh, if you're black. Yeah. Now, do you think there's a little bit of a racial tone there? Yeah. But I don't think the media had much criticism there, at least, at least the left-wing media. Maybe that'll change someday. Yeah, it's bizarre. And let's listen to it because he gave a talk at Howard University, a very important historically black college. Uh, and uh, I don't know what to say about this other than just listen to what he says if you haven't heard it yet. Here we go. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go, to stand up. So white supremacy is the number one terrorist threat in America. Now, no one denies that there's racism everywhere. Uh, there's problems with it. But just the idea, Dr. Paul, I mean, does anyone even know a white supremacist? Maybe I'm hanging out in the wrong circles. I'm not in the, <laughs> I'm not in the active crowd. But I have never met anyone who, who is a white supremacist, you yeah. know, with the well. KKK hat or something. The thing that I fear the most is very bipartisan, and that is the cooperation of most of the people in Washington that deal with the principles of personal liberty. Yeah. You know, they gang up on us all all the time, and uh, that that is a menace. I don't know whether I, I would. I, I don't think it's the appropriate time to use it. The word is terrorism, but. Uh, but there are some terroristic attitudes of our government. And uh, I think one of the most terroristic things that anybody can have is if, uh, if, they, if they have a call and they, and they have to come see you, we're from the IRS and we're yeah. here to help you sort out your taxes. Yeah. You know, I imagine everybody goes, ah, you yeah. know, it's crazy. That's terror, yeah. And uh, that's why they want as many people on the 
on the dough as possible and uh, on the record. And that is why I think uh, power is their goal. And right now they're trying to get everybody to sign up with massively expanded uh, services coming through the medical industry because, of course, you know, we just had this COVID and uh, we were very instrumental in solving that problem. So we need everybody to join in. Uh, I'm just really impressed negatively on how much advertisement is going on. That to me gives me chills of a terrorist threat. You know, don't do it. And uh, often, you know, uh, I, I, I'm saddened by the thought of wonder, wonder where I'd be now in medicine because I couldn't have tolerated any of that. But there are a few people out there resisting, and that's what we have to do. We have to know and understand uh, who are the real terrorists, and I'll put that in quotes, because that is what people fear, and I think it's uh, the lack of freedom is what they're uh, most fearful for. Yeah, you know, Biden ran on this whole idea of, well, you know, Trump was so divisive, he divided America. I will bring America together. Sorry, Joe, this isn't how you do it. You know, <laughs> if you put on this first clip, now this is from the Washington Post write-up of the speech over the weekend, um, and this is just to reiterate what we said. Biden calls white supremacy greatest, if we can put that up, greatest terrorism threat as 2024 race heats up. Now that's a good point because this is all about politics. And he even mentions it early in his uh, speech. If we can put the next note, this is from that story. And here's, here's folksy old Joe talking about how he decided to run. He, he only decided <laughs> reluctantly after seeing the, Char the Charlottesville incident in 2017. That's untrue. We know Biden's been wanting to run since 1970s, 1960s, God knows when. I'll leave it up if you can, please. Um, so recounting the story of how he initially decided to run for the White House after seeing white supremacists marching in <coughs> Charlottesville in 2017, Biden says the country continues to be in a battle against sinister forces that are determined to clock, turn the clock back to more divisive times. He may be ironically true in a different way than he means. He says, I don't have to tell you that progress towards justice often meets ferocious pushback from the oldest and most sinister of forces, Biden said, after quoting former President Donald Trump's equivocating response to the 2017 rally. So it's very clear this is about the campaign. And I just wonder, Dr. Paul, usually, and remember what Reagan ran on? Um, are you are you better off now than you were four <laughs> years ago? You know, instead of you're a racist, you're a terrorist. I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, it is a shame. And you know <clears throat> what's being taught and and uh, circulates surely in our schools is the critical race theory. And they preach this. They preach racism. And if you don't, you know, you know, you can't move ahead. And you can't. Sometimes you can't pass your courses. Yeah. You know, if you challenge the professor on uh, critical race theory. But uh, you know, the the whole thing is they. They want you to abide by their rules uh, it, because they say that uh, it's it's uh, the uh, it's the it's the white supremacy and the racism that we have to just stop this. But uh, you know what are they, what are they how do they describe what they want? Oh, they want they want more diversity. Yeah. Diversity according to their rules and regulations and according to their guns that you point at you, and they want equity. What does that mean? Equity sounds pretty good. Equality of justice might be one thing, but this equity is economic redistribution of wealth uh, by force, by yeah. guns. And, uh, and then they also want inclusion. 
And you already pointed out that uh, Biden promises inclusion, but he got worse and yeah. it's worse so long. So, so, and how, how, what, what is the opposition to that? Uh, who, uh, what, what would we support in opposition to that? And for me, I describe it as individualism. Rights come to individuals, not to groups. And uh, individualism means that you, you, you can buy to be diverse. I think really the best diversity is when an individual has a right to his own life. Yeah. You know, that they can do what they want as long, but one rule, you can't hurt people. But uh, they, they don't simplify this. They say, no, you have to obey the government. So whether it's in a medical treatment of COVID or wh whether it's what you do at school and all the things, they want to do that and set the standards. And uh, they are the authoritarians. They rely on authoritarianism, where I think a libertarian society re uh, uh, you know, uh, relies on individualism and a voluntary uh, society. And I don't know how people can turn that down. Especially if you can show the documentation that that country or that part of the world that ever follows those rules like we did in our early history is so far superior. People will find things because nothing is perfect. They'll say right now, you know, the left says that what they're after now is to destroy what we have because we're sick and tired of capitalism. That is such a distorted figure because we, we are pretty critical, you know, on the type of capitalism, this crony capitalism. But that isn't it. They, they, just, they just have a theory of government that uh, leads to this uh, uh, divisiveness and, and the racism that comes because you have to compete for your, your share of the loot. Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing here is an increasingly desperate campaign. We talked about Biden's numbers last week. They were the lowest of his presidency, uh, the lowest of any president at this particular point in the presidency. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves. There's no question about it. And we didn't mention it, I don't think, but there was a Rasmussen poll last week suggesting that Biden had 36 to RFK Jr.'s 35%. Now, if that's true, no wonder they're worried. But you have, I mean, it's pretty obvious why they're so worried. Can Biden run on the economy? He's trying to. He shut everything down. He and Trump shut everything down for COVID. And then when things came back up again, he's trying to claim uh, credit for, I created more jobs. Yeah, but you, <laughs> you shut down. And so they can't run on the economy. And we know we're facing stagflation and even worse, perhaps. They can't run on, run on foreign policy success. You're getting us almost to the verge of World War III over something that has no interest whatsoever to us. So there's no foreign policy success, no economic success. So he could never ask the question, are you better off today than you were four years ago? But the answer is resoundingly no. So what do you do in that case? You ramp up fear because that's all he has left. Fear, hatred, and divisiveness is all they have left. You know, I mentioned that quote of Biden about him putting down the black man because he wasn't supporting him. He says, oh, you ain't black then, you know, that sort of thing. But you know, it's black, uh, it's black re re Republicans who are the most hated in general. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and, and this is done by the people who promote and, and talk about, you know, the evils of white supremacy. And so if, if you get a person, and I think Biden's expressed this so clearly what's going on, is because they can't stand, you know, the truth popping up. Yeah. And I often wondered, you know, when Clarence Thomas ran, Thomas ran for Supreme Court, you know, if, <clears throat> let's say your soul and your heart uh, and your life had always been, you know, we blacks have been just really ripped off. Isn't it sort of neat that yeah. we have a 
black man being in the Supreme Court, oh yeah, but he's a libertarian, yeah. <laughs> you know. So they despise them. Yeah. So that the greatest hatred comes from that. So I, I still think that you have to have an understanding of these terms and the philosophy and all, because the system we have now is very, very divisive. And how does it occur by telling people we are going to bring people together? And uh, of course, it's all a bunch of you know, yeah. lying. <laughs> but it just does remind me of their approach, and it is such a divisive approach because remember the first thing they 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 had to put their hooks in was January sixth. We had an insurrection. There's a you know there's a terrorist threat in the U.S. There's the insurrection of Trump voters. Then of course the entire Russia collusion. Russia's behind everything we don't like. Russia's deep in stealing our bodily fluids. It's the same selling of fear, you know, over and over again. And that's what it seems like they're basing the campaign on is just selling this this fear uh, and dividing people, you know. Well, you know, you can use that statement very generally, too. You know, you have to scare the people if you want them to go and send their kids off to fight a senseless, stupid war yeah. that's illegal, unconstitutional, and has no purpose. So you have to scare the people, and that is, that is their goal. And uh, unfortunately, there is a mob psychology. It's very catchy. So the... The contest is between who can who who controls the scenario, who who controls the propaganda, and uh, lately it's uh, you, you know the, the real real concern and, and where some of the terrorism originates is in social media. Yeah. And uh, who knows what's going to happen with this artificial intelligence, you know, how, how they might be able to use that to scare people too. So yeah. I imagine there's, there's starting to see more stories now of people who, who are likely to be less misled by that whole, uh, that whole principle of uh, technology. Well, you know, you remember back when they started the war on terrorism, George W. Bush, you know, and once you call something terrorist, then of course anything is justified, you know, to take that person or that thing or that idea out. When they declared a war on terrorism, I remember you said more than once, more than a few times, this is dangerous terminology because this war, okay, now it's just all these bad Muslims overseas, but this war will be turned in against Americans. And that's exactly what we're seeing here, using that term, the other, the other that has to be quashed because they're such a threat. Now it's, it's I don't know, half of America he's talking about, I guess, according to his terminology. So, yeah. Well, I, it, it still to me is not complex, but it's very difficult because the emotionalism and the uh, ability to control, you know, the scenario, control the images of the story. And you have... Uh, you, you, you have uh, our governments, and, and too often on the big issues, I still say, even with all the fighting going on uh, between Republicans and Democrats, there's uh, way too much, uh, you know, co collusion between the two parties, and uh, they, they, seem to fo they seem to be able to protect the spending. Oh no, they're fighting it on. They're fighting tooth and nail. But but the, the spending's going to continue. Yeah. And, that, and they say, well, we don't want to have a default. Well, you're defaulting every single day. You know, every time you print an extra buck, you devalue the uh, the, the dollars that are in existence. But it goes on and on. And you know, where does this propaganda and lying thing start? I think it starts very early on, and I think it had to be the control of the uh, of the educational system. And uh, one time, I thought it was just in certain certain uh, liberal uh, progressive universities. 
but I think it's almost universal. There's certainly some good colleges still left, but yeah. basically, and then I thought, well, it'd just be in 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 the college area, uh, but but it's 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 all in all any government school. So if you look at the government schools, when you think in just recent months. Uh, some of these um, some of some some of these efforts to uh, you know for teachers to go on strike some of that's been pretty vicious you know they they work for the government yeah. and you can't even have a contract if uh, if a businessman has a contract he just in a free society you you don't have to sign a contract with a union I, I if, it, if, it's, if it's beneficial to both parties you can have a contract like yeah. that but anyway that's that is a, a, a big problem and and, uh, and the people become bewildered on this, but at times we see glimpses of hope, and we usually uh, are able to report those when we see it. Because I still think uh, I, I, I still have a strong belief that when people are given an honest choice and they know what they're doing, I don't know why people would ever vote to send their kids off to a senseless, uh, foolish war. Yeah. And then think they're doing something patriotic and uh, and, and 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 being so glis gleeful about it. That that to me is annoying. Well, thank you for your service, Ron. Yeah. You're in the military. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this, let's move on. I think to foreign policy now because our second piece is really about probably the most senseless debacle of all time, uh, and that is the proxy war between the U.S. and its NATO allies and Russia using Ukraine as a battleground, using the blood of Ukrainians. Um, let's put up this next one. This is from Dave DeCamp over at antiwar.com. Germany announces $2.9 billion arms package. I'll go back if you can one, please. Germany announces $2.9 billion arms package for Ukraine. The package is Berlin's largest yet and includes leopard tanks, martyr fighting vehicles, air defense systems, and surveillance drones. They are writing a huge check to Zelensky. I don't know, Dr. Paul, they seem unfazed by Seymour Hersh's reporting that most of this money <laughs> is going into their pockets. Um, they're ponying up some more money. And if you do the next one, uh, Olaf Scholz, who's kind of been in hiding for a while, he's reemerged. Zelensky paid him a visit. They hung out for a while. And then Scholz said Germany will support Ukraine for as long as is necessary. I wonder what that means for the people of Germany. Until the money runs out. Yeah. <laughs> and the money runs out when the money runs out of value, and which is what something ultimately they don't have control because ultimate values have not only an objective uh, view on how it's developed, but it's also very subject when the people panic and they become fearful of what the government's doing instead of responding. They've, the government's made us very scared, so we'll do what they want. But what happens if the people are very scared because they've been doing that for too long and that, that, that's when it ends, but that's when the great danger occurs unless we have an army of people who know and understand what personal liberty is all about. And that was the miracle that I have uh, that happened with the founding of this country. They had individuals that uh, understood these principles and in spite of all the difficulties were able to uh, produce a document, uh, the best probably ever written, but still with with their its infractions it's it's not a perfect document but we need to have a generation to do this and that's why when i go 
to the college campuses, and I still get there on occasion, that I'm still excited about young people who have been maybe sitting in a college classroom and been indoctrinated in, in schools that aren't really on our side of the issue are still making sense of it all. And, uh, and of course, we talk so much about you don't have to wait until you have 52% of the people agreeing with what we knew, uh, do. The, not, the, the majority of people d didn't vote and agreed with all this leftist progressivism and all this authoritarianism, all this warmongering and all, all this socialism and fascism that goes on. That, that isn't, but the leadership does. And that's why we have to get people ready and re ready for this because there is going to be an opportunity when this system comes down there will be openings and there there's openings right now i know so many groups that have been started nobody yeah. even knows about them i haven't heard of them about them but they come and they call and and i'm excited about the fact they exist out there they not, might not be huge they're not uh, elon musk you know that sort of thing they might not have a whole lot of money but they're reaching out with a message that uh, strikes a chord with the people yeah, people do have to get ready, and unfortunately the propaganda is still very strong. The war propaganda with this Ukraine war is still very strong. I mean, but what's happening to Germany is really like the most insane idea to come out of Germany for the last 70 years, I think, <laughs> which is let's commit economic suicide to try to take out Russia. Well, it hasn't worked. Russia hasn't had the economic collapse that was supposed to have. And Germany, on the other hand, is being deindustrialized. It's being turned into a third world country. And this is, a, I just clipped this from FT, from Financial Times, recently. Now, this is the, this is the reality of Germany, if you can put this next one up. Um, so Germany, as long as it takes, we're going to give money to Ukraine. We'll give as much as we can, as long as it takes. And here's from Financial Times just this month. German recession fears resurface as factory output falls. German industrial production fell 3.4% in March, the biggest drop in a year. So they're crippling their industry, they're crippling the economy with the idea that, oh, well, we may cripple ourselves, but we're going to take out Russia too. It's not working, but instead of digging themselves out of a hole, they keep digging deeper. It's really the craziest thing ever. Yeah, it's, it's bewildering, even though I, I think I sort of understand it. It's still very bewildering how these people can be sucked into this thing yeah. because a little more common sense would solve the problem. Because the people that uh, I visit with and uh, try to explain the uh, li liberty position, uh, they, they describe it, and, and I sort of had that, but a lot of people would say, you know, it was sort of like a light bulb going on. It wasn't, they were looking for too much complicated stuff. You needed to change the Congress and change this and change the courts. And what you had to do was just, you know, have a light bulb come out and describe the difference between authoritarianism and voluntarism. And, and just make the case that voluntarism is so much better. And, uh, and, and, and it, it shouldn't be any more complicated than that. And when they have, when people are offered that choice, I think a lot of them will say, you know, it's just common sense. And, and yeah. I, 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 think it, I think it is common sense to look for a free society. But there's not a lot of common sense in Washington. <laughs> and our, the last one we want to talk about is this piece from Politico over there. And uh, it's an interesting article if you put it up. Now, as you know, Dr. Paul, and you talk about it on Friday, you talk about it a lot. We're in the midst of this debt crisis, this debt ceiling crisis. We're not going to pay our bills. Well, this is a piece in Politico today that says the end of Ukraine aid is rapidly approaching. Re-upping it won't be easy. 
And if you put this next one on, uh, next clip, this time around, any late summer proposal by the White House could run up against the raging debate over the debt ceiling and will almost certainly face opposition from a small but vocal group of Republicans that wants to slash spending on Ukraine. And to that, I would add, Dr. Paul, because we've talked about it on the show, some progressives are starting to have some questions about this as well. So what they're saying is basically out of that $47 billion that was authorized uh, last year, uh, they've spent all but a, you know, a few billion, a few billion here and there, you know, <laughs> but they spent all but a few billion, and they're projecting to r that money will run out by early to mid-summer, and they're saying it's going to be the debt ceiling crisis, there's going to be problems with the economy, and it's not going to be as automatic as they said it was, and to that we would say, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it is. That's this hope that uh, is reflected in the people's minds, and they change their minds. <clears throat> and it's an election year, so you're going to hear a lot of uh, a lot of discussion going on, and uh, there will be uh, you know a contest over more spending and less spending and how you spend it. But uh, they they reject outright the restraints put in the Constitution, so they've rejected. Uh, you know, most everybody I've met in Washington, they've rejected the principle of why the Constitution exists. Uh, and, <clears throat> and we were warned at the very beginning, it's not going to work if the people are a bunch of immoral rascals who yeah. are only uh, looking for a free handout. But uh, there was certainly enough of uh, thou shalt nots in, in, uh, in the Constitution where the guideline is there and the purpose is there. And, uh, you know, that's when a lot of people did want to come to our country and did come in a very, very legal way to come to the country. But this, this is not quite, as I remember talking to my grandparents, how they came over and how they went through uh, the process, uh, I think is this is not the same thing because it's lawlessness that we're seeing. And, uh, it's, and, and it's based on theft. It's based on it's this whole thing that you allow anybody, everybody. I, I think the easiest way for me to understand this issue of, of immigration <coughs> is Think about it, your home, you know, the right to your home. Your yeah. home is your castle. You don't let people in that you don't want in or you don't know about. You're not in the mood for it. You, you should have control of that. But uh, what, about, what about outside? Well, in your yard, if they're coming and, uh, and starting a, a bonfire or something in your yard, you have a right to do something about it. Yeah. yeah, but what about all the other places? What about schools and all this? Well, maybe we shouldn't have the government owning all that stuff. Yeah. You know, some of these problems they, they run into in the schools, they don't run into that in private schools, you know, to the same extent, or homeschooling. So there's enough freedom left to circumvent that, but it's still a very, very big problem. And uh, yet it was not authorized, nor was it expected uh, by the founders that, you know, a little bit of government here will help and we yeah. can get by with this. Uh, but a little bit of government is just means uh, opening up the door to big government. The big government. And the biggest government <coughs> is an interventionist foreign policy. <laughs> and here's from that, a little bit more from that political piece, Dr. Paul, um, if he can put that next one up. So this is, this, is the, this, is un, this is telling in a different way than they intend, I think, Dr. Paul, because they say the original $48 billion package approved in December included about $36 billion for the Pentagon to craft a wide range of military aid to Kiev. The U.S. sent millions of artillery shells, funded tanks, shipped armored vehicles, advanced air defense systems into the Ukrainian military's hands. 
but on the, they send all this stuff over, then they say Ukraine is winning. But on the other hand, if that's the case, why are they desperate for more? What happened to all the stuff we already sent over when they're not winning? Well, it all got blown up and they're sending more and they want to send more. And he's still not happy, Zelensky is. Put this next one on. He's mad because he's not getting more. Zelensky said the new armored vehicles promised by the U.S. are only arriving in batches, contradicting European Command General Christopher Cavoli, who told Congress last month that Ukraine had received over 98% of the combat vehicles that had been requested. So Cavoli, our guy, our general, says they got all the stuff that they requested. Zelensky says, no, it's not enough. I don't have enough. And I found this tweet, Dr. Paul, because this reflects what might be the coming battle, if we can put this on. And I don't know this account, but he just makes a good point. He says, all this phony talk of a debt ceiling, but American voters never ask themselves, how do we have all this money for Ukraine? <laughs> and, uh, and this U.S. <coughs> risks breaching debt ceiling in first two weeks of June. How do we have all this money in Ukraine? And the other thing I was thinking, Dr. Paul, is what is the debate going to look like if they come back and say, look, that $50 billion wasn't enough, we need another $50 billion. I think that might be an opening for someone like Senator Paul to say, look, last time we did this, I said we need an inspector general. We're seeing reports that the money's being wasted. Shouldn't we account for it in some way? And that might give some leverage, I think. Yes, and, uh, you know, the, the attitude of the leaders of these countries that become dependent on us is so, so annoying because they come not with a reasonable request for a problem that uh, both could uh, understand and endorse. It's coming with an attitude. You know, you have something. We need it. Give we me, have a right me. to it. It's sort of it's sort of an expansion of how the welfare state works at home. They don't think that, uh, not for a minute, do people who get more and more, rich or poor, who get more and more checks from the government, that uh, they're taking something from somebody. But it's really, in the moral sense, it's uh, it, when you use the government's gun to go and take and redistribute the wealth, that, that to me is immorality. And it, it has to be that they have to be very arrogant, ignorant of uh, economics, or maybe they aren't ignorant. Maybe some of them know exactly what they're doing, but they know what the ropes are and how the system works in a special interest type of deal. So what about a good example of that would be when Zelensky came here, he had a meeting with the military industrial complex. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. He knew who to talk to. Yeah, exactly, for oh, sure. Boy. You know, but DC cannot allow any negotiations to try to stop this war because the neocons are still <coughs> convinced that they can take Russia down, take Russia out, so they're going to keep the war going. Um, if we can actually look at this last one that I put up, because this is the head of foreign of diplomacy for the European Commission, Josep uh, Borrell. Listen to what he says, Dr. Paul. I thought this was fake, but actually is true. He actually said this. He said, I know how to end the war immediately. Wow, that sounds interesting. I know how to end the war immediately. I stop providing military assistance to Ukraine, and Ukraine will surrender in a few days. That's it. The war is over. Now, most people who are not psychopaths would say, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. The war's <laughs> going to be over in a couple of days. 
But no, they want the bleeding to continue. They want more dying going on. Like Trump said, I want to stop the dying. I don't want to take sides. I want to stop the killing, and I want to stop the dying. Well, these people don't because it's very profitable to them. You know, and the longer they stay, the more uh, expansive it's going to get. It's going to spread and get bigger and bigger. It reminds me of all the debate and arguments back in the 60s, uh, but it went on longer and more vicious, and a lot more people died. So in one way, they're waking up a little sooner. But back then, it was, uh, you know, we need to do this, the spread of communism. You know, they're ter- then it was the terrorists, and now it's, now it's the Republicans that we have to do do all this stuff but that that to me is so bad and uh, but they they expect it as a right uh, and of course uh, the basic principle of, uh, of a free market principle or libertarian principle is you can't take stuff from other people without with, with without their permission but then you say well then there's going to be rich people and poor people yeah well Rich people, for the most part, give an incentive to people who won't work. Maybe then they have an incentive. Well, I better work and get some of that money. But uh, it is it, it is that incentive that the uh, the big government people want to play on. So they use that as an excuse to make government bigger and themselves richer, richer. and yep. more powerful. Power is a big deal too. They want power, and that's why these weapons get sold. And they're, they're, you're right; they're they're not looking to win the war. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact. The people, those people that run these big uh, arms manufacturing companies—that's the last thing they want—is the war to end. I mean, what will we, what will we do for a living? We, look, how many jobs do we produce? Yeah. You know, we we create jobs, and what is what's going to happen to the money if we don't we, we don't sell more weapons? Yeah. Well, why don't we try it? And, yeah. and why don't we run an experiment and find out where the money would go? Try something different. Well, I do want to mention our sponsor for May, and that's fourpatriots.com. They've got everything you need to survive in difficult situations. And you know, Dr. Paul, we had some pretty wild weather uh, over the weekend. I saw a lot of flooding. We had some tremendous storms. My thoughts did turn to generators, which I do not have a generator yet, but I thought of generators and I thought of solar power generators and I thought of fourpatriots.com because they have it in all different sizes to handle all different needs that you might have from simply powering your phone to powering your fridge, your medical devices. Uh, and they've come up with a new generation of portable, safe, silent, and fume-free generators. As we know, those gas fumes, that carbon monoxide, you can't smell it, but it can certainly cause damage and death to everyone. And these products are available to all Americans, even those that think they might not be able to afford them. It's a, it's a generator that doesn't use gas, it uses solar, so it doesn't have fumes. It's as quiet as a laptop. It's lightweight. You can expand the power. You can add nodes to it and make it stronger. The best thing about it is that you can get 10% off one of these terrific generators if you use the code RON when you make your purchase. And not just for the generators, but anything on 4Patriots.com website. 10% off your first purchase using code word RON. I will put a link in the description. Just check out what they have. It's a wide variety of things. Uh, for sure, you're going to find something that will make you sleep easy at night. So. Dr. Paul, I will just finally quit uh, by saying again, uh, we're getting very close to our June 3rd conference here in Houston. Um, If we could put up that last clip, it's going to be a great event. It's going to be a great chance to get together and talk about a lot of the things that we talk about on the show. We're bringing in some special friends to give some presentations. We've talked about Jordan Schachtel, who's going to be here. We'll talk about some other people, but they lie. 
Nihilism in the war on truth is what we're going to talk about. War lies. <coughs> the lies of the censorship industrial complex. The encroachment of nihilism, and you're writing about this uh, in a booklet coming out. There is so much going on that we need to get together and talk. And you know, Dr. Paul, when we get together and have a conference, it's not just one-way talking. We talk at you. Our speakers talk at you. It's interaction. And that's what people need is to get together and compare notes. I'll put a link here to get your tickets and join us June 3rd, Houston, Texas. Over to you, Dr. Paul. Very good. I want to finish with uh, using a quote that everybody has heard before, and they still use it. It's such a great quote. It comes from Martin Luther King. Uh, who, who was anti-war. He didn't, you know, manufacture that for political reasons. And uh, he came out strongly against the uh, <coughs> Vietnam War, probably one of the major reasons why he got assassinated. And, but his quote uh, at his great, great speech uh, in Washington, uh, he mentioned something, not, not that uh, this meant that, that Martin Luther King was a libertarian, but on war issues and civil liberty issues, he was pretty darn good. Uh, economics is where libertarians would uh, find fault. But <clears throat> his quote is uh, so famous, uh, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Wonderful. And, uh, and, and the liberals write about this, and the liberals have to refute this. So that's what they're in the business on. And the, the liberal argument now is that they're misinterpreting, <laughs> they're misinterpreting uh, uh, Martin Luther King, and they want to reverse this. And, uh, and, and what, what, what they want to say is he didn't really mean it. And you know, if, you know, this would be a pretty good example of re, trying to rewrite history because, but they could use it and we could agree with something. He said, we, nobody's declared that he's 100% libertarian and, uh, and we have to change it. You don't, you don't have to change anything because it's right out in the open. But I, I was, I caught, my attention was caught by the fact that they have to refute that because so many people can use it against the far left. In this debate we just have having now, you know, about, about character. And uh, it, it is a, a, a beautiful uh, uh, quote. But uh, so it's, it's very important for the uh, pr progressive uh, authoritarians have to destroy. They don't probably, oh, they don't want to destroy Martin Luther King. You can't do that. But they want to destroy the interpretation of this. And they say everybody since he said it has misinterpreted it. And that's why we have to straighten out history. It's sad, I'll tell you, to have that happen. And that's what we have to confront with. But we still have an ability to get together, have conferences, and visit with you on our Ron Paul Liberty Report. And we still have homeschooling, uh, which I'm engaged in. And we have, uh, you know, the so social media, although it's, uh, you have to be careful in what you're doing with it. But we do not suffer at people who get, you know, imprisoned in Russia for a couple of days. Sometimes they come home and they think America is not so bad because they realize that we still do have enough liberty. We have enough liberty if we will wake up and make use of that because numbers do count. Numbers count. Not in the sense of the democratic majority, the dictatorship of the majority, not that political thing that they talk about by the majority of the people agreeing, you know, that peace is far superior to war. 
want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.